0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network.
1: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We've got news. Metallica wins Best Metal Performance for 72 seasons at the Grammys on Sunday. Here's Rob.
1: All right. Wow. Incredible. I just want to say that uh Larry, James and Kirk uh, could not be here because they're with their families. And as you know, families are everything to all of us. That comes first. And I live in Southern California, so it's a little easier. But uh, we want to thank Greg Fiddleman, our incredible producer and our recording team. Amazing. Uh, one of the best teams ever. This is like family. When you're making an album like this, you're jamming, you're collaborating, the spirit of 72 Seasons, which is your youth and creating music together. Keep those instruments in your hands. Let's keep the youth making music and keeping the dream alive. Thank you so much.
3: Hello, folks, and welcome to the Metallica Report. I'm Stefan Shirazi, editor of the band So What magazine.
2: And I'm Renee Richardson, director of philanthropy for Metallica's foundation, all within my hands. This is your official weekly Metallica podcast, the only inside source, bringing you all the news from the band's HQ and studios deep in the heart of Northern California. And a massive Thanks to our Spotify fans who weighed in on this week's question, which was, what is your favorite Bob Rock moment? Naturally, we're wondering about Bob Rock Metallica moment and you guys delivered once again. Kevin Chapman liked the time that Bob got told off by Lars in the documentary Some Kind of Monster for smiling while he was playing. That (laughs) was a very, very good highlight.
3: I like that. Diego Huerta calls out when Bob was pushing Kirk to pull out his best for the Unforgiven solo. And he also mentioned Bob performing frantic with the guys at the 30th anniversary gig in 2011.
2: And finally, Devin, George and Paul DePaula have deep feelings, as many do, for Bob Rock, quote, losing his mind over the Black Album recording. Again, we love it. Thank you for weighing in on our Spotify poll.
3: Absolutely. You keep coming back and we'll keep serving them up. That's right. And look, settle in now, because we're going to hear from the man himself. Uh, We're delighted to be spending time with Bob Rock, uh, the legendary producer behind the biggest selling Metallica album of all time, the Black Album, is an integral part of Metallica's Ascension. Bob also produced Load, Reload, SM, and St. Anger. Virtually lived with the band through some of the most dynamic, exciting, and turbulent times in their history, as you can see from that catalogue of production titles.
2: Yeah, and that's just the Metallica stuff. He's also produced huge albums for Motley Crue and Bon Jovi, The Cult, Brian Adams, Cher. Michael Buble, just a few. But trust me, Bob has one of those CVs that seems to be scripted. He's just so powerful. Doesn't it just?
3: Yeah, there's -hmm. there's loads of people he's worked with indeed. We could have easily taken an hour plus with this conversation. But instead, we chose to focus on special and specific areas of his Metallica life, uh, from James the Lyricist to the St. Anger experiences, uh, with thoughts on Metallica in 2024 as well, and also how that Black Album sound was first influenced. Let's start with today,
2: shall we? Yeah, and the conversation started as many a conversation might start, finding out when and where you last saw Metallica. But when you ask someone like Bob Rock, you get true
4: insight. Listen to this. I enjoyed the concert. I thought the sound was really great. And I thought their attitude, it was really interesting. And I don't mean to insult anybody, but I think for me, the last time I saw there's very this machoism that's always part of Metallica. I didn't see that. I saw four guys that were just grateful and just happy and just love where they are. I just saw this joy in them that made me almost tear up just seeing that, that these guys um, haven't seen them in a long time and they're just doing fucking great. I was so pleased. I couldn't believe how well Lars is playing drums and it was like he's swinging. For those who a lot of people don't know, it's just this style of playing drums. And he's swinging with Rob, and there was a pocket. The first five songs, there was a pocket between Rob and Lars. And I was freaking the fuck out.
3: Yeah, what's cool is, from what Bob was saying about SoFi, we, we kind of also got into this uh, whole Lars as a drummer angle, which is very, very cool, because Bob's perspective and knowledge is well, well worth hearing, because he did learn some unique things about Lars's style over the years, as you might imagine.
4: The thing that I learned working with Lars, probably the biggest lesson was during s and And what we noticed is that the conductor basically works off the drummer. And there's a natural delay in that because the orchestra is always behind. But actually Lars plays to James. It's like James is the rhythm, okay? Like Pete Townsend, Lars plays to James. That's why his fills are around the riffs, et cetera. So when you put that into perspective, I think the closest drummer to Lars is, is Keith Moon, because they play musical drums. It's not just keeping the beat. It's everything. Okay? When I talk to a Lubario, uh, Josh Fries, everybody gets that. There's a lot of people that don't get that. But everybody believes it, what Lars does, nobody else does. And I think, like I said, he's a musical drummer. And he's not like so many drummers just keep a beat. It's not about the beat. It's about musical. And they're so musical.
2: And again, so many of us have been seeing and talking about the fact that the guys are in top form right now. Since we have this legendary producer, musician, songwriter on the pod, we need to go back in time and ask how Bob viewed his role as a producer for Metallica when he first arrived to work with them for the Black Album.
4: The thing that immediately noticed is before me, they recorded a certain way, which is what the way Fleming recorded. And that's all they knew. So that is the way they learned how to make records. When I came in, I just kind of went, that's not how I know how to make records. And make no mistake, what I learned through the years of being an engineer, musician, a songwriter, all those things, it really comes down to the fact that I was there to help them be the best that they can be. And what I did is I noticed these things, you know, so when I got them to play live in the studio, they were going, why are we doing this? And I said, well, because we can change parts and we can hear the basically almost the whole picture, like in terms of tempo, in terms of feel, all these different things. And they never went back because they thought about what they were doing. And that's the way that I made records, but I think it showed them all the possibilities. And from that point, like on the new album, the first single is in the key of A. And I, I immediately text them and I went, everybody's going lower and you go to A. And I'm going, that's so fucking cool. I know people don't even know what I'm saying, but the key of A. And I asked Lars and he says, basically all the bands new the new wave of British heavy metal. Everybody was playing in A. Most everybody used the key of A. So I just love the fact that they didn't go lower. They went to their roots. Once again, the roots.
2: We'll be right back.
0: Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
1: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
3: And we're back. By the way, that was a May 1991 rough mix of Enter Sermen. It's from the Black Album Deluxe box set. There's so many great mixes of the albums, really good stuff, which help you actually get a real key into what Bob was doing with them at the time. And look, don't you think that intro still holds this mesmeric power? Like, it's just however many times you hear it. It's just so timeless, yeah? Yeah. And, and the genesis of... Metallica's uh, sound profile revamp at the time came as a result of what Bob had done with the Motley Crue album, Dr. Feelgood, particularly the first minute or so of that actual song, Dr. Feelgood, which I remember Lars freaking out about. And here, Bob gets into how that initial sound came to be, you know, going all the way back and starting with his work with Tommy Lee on Crue's Dr. Feelgood.
4: Tommy said, I want my kick drum to sound like a rap kick because everybody was all subs and was bottom... You know, I want my kick to sound like that. And I went, okay. But you know, a bass drum doesn't have subs. So I had to solve the problem. So when I went to see them rehearse, and I went up on and hit his kick drum, and I thought my kidneys were gonna fall out. There was so much sub. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It was like unbelievable. So how did I solve the problem? I put subwoofers in the studio behind his drums and had the kick, that sub, into the drum kit. Everybody said, you can't do that. And I said, yes I can and it's just there's sweet one sweet spot where it doesn't it just sounds great like it does it's not overblown took a while to find it that's the drum sound that was the start of it and then samples started to happen and the sample thing I took a thumb bass that goes bang. that's a sample of that that's detuned and the kick drum I detuned the kick drum all the toms have subs in them and we've got the room subs that is Dr. Phil. The other thing is I was doing guitars with James and I got him so tight. It was just him and me and it took, I don't know, three weeks to do all the rhythms. It's triple tracked and I did it so fucking tight. So there was my my, uh, Jose Marshall and he changed the Marshall logo into asshole over three months. And one day I just turned around and I said, you're a fucking asshole. But basically he was just so mad at me because I was beating him up. But that's the sound. Got to get it right. Got to get it right. And, you know, God bless him. He went along with it. But he was into it. That's the other thing overall with Metallica is I fell in love with their integrity probably within two weeks, because even during rehearsal, I saw how that that was the main thing in their life.
2: And another vital part of the Black Album was just how James's lyrics had developed. It was something that Bob always felt was both possible and very necessary.
4: Well, the big thing was Sandman. As we know the story, it was about child death, crib death, disrupt the perfect family instead of we're off to Never Neverland. I had the discussion and how I dis- described the discussion. I said, yeah, we got that. But can you do it better? Can you make it better? I told him. I said, the great writers. I said, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen. I said, Bono. They never stop fixing up their lyrics. Can they be better? So I said, Take another stab at it and just see if you can not say it so bluntly and just say it. Say the same thing, but start going to another level because you're good enough to do that. Because he is. I think it's one of their greatest albums because it's the most personal album for James. All the songs.
3: I have to add that I absolutely agree with Bob regarding James as a lyricist. Uh, I've often referred to him as the proletariat Bob Dylan because through his lyrics, he has given millions of people access to emotions which they might never previously have had the inclination to find.
2: And just again, it's Bob's pushing, right? It, It brought so much out of the guys.
3: Yeah, absolutely it did. And let's move to the St. Anger era, which it's safe to say saw Metallica's footing uh, not in the most stable of places. And, you know, because of the trust and closeness that Bob and the band had built, he actually found himself in the middle of some situations that were frankly far beyond normal. And it ultimately led to a situation of self-sacrifice for the greater health of the band uh, to continue progressing.
4: It started out with the band not being a band. And they were my friends. And when they asked me to play bass, it's not really what I do, but I can play producer bass, which is what I ended up. But they weren't weren't a band. I saw all these guys I've known and made a great record. And all of a sudden there's all this shit. And so when we started having the meetings and James had some stuff that he had to deal with, and then the Twin Towers went down when we were in therapy. So there was a lot, of, a lot of turmoil and stuff. But the idea was to keep going. So James wasn't there for a lot of, of the initial part. And how can Metallica be Metallica without James? Well, it was a way to work through. If they'd taken a break, God knows if they'd ever get back together. So the idea is, in a funny way, I threw my body on the sword. And I was okay with that. Because I've had so much success and such a great time with them. I was okay with whatever happened.
2: And of course, the snare drum. St. Anger. That has become quite possibly the most talked about and polarizing snare drum in hard rock history. And I'm not exaggerating on this. Here's the thing. It's that ringing. That ringing of the snare drum was a big deal. And here's Bob explaining how this all came to be.
4: There's the famous snare drum. The thing is, is what happened, the fan club and all of us went to the house. None of that was shined. None of the sounds. Nothing was shined. That is the most honest, picture of those guys. Nothing was fixed. And we were into the, you know, it was like Raw Power, the Stooges album. It was like the MC5. It was like the Champs. It was like all those records that are raw and gutsy. And I was buying into that because really I don't follow the rules of heavy metal because I hate rules.
3: Yeah. Look, I mean, I have my own views on the record. I love it. And I have personal reasons for doing so. But look, for all the criticism St. Anger has unfairly received, it was cool to hear Bob mention a couple of other folks who uh, took the time to let him know that they also liked it.
4: I went to It Might Get Loud, and I saw Jack White coming up. I was talking to Cliff and Mark Ryder, Cliff Bernstein. Jack White comes up. He says, by the way, I love St. Anger. It's one of the best albums I've ever heard, blah, 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 and it went away. The other one, I was at the Sunset Marquee, and I'm friends with Jimmy Page. And uh, he was uh, having breakfast with the record company guy. And I was there. I didn't want to bug him. He came up and he says, I love St. Anger. It's fucking awesome. So two people liked it, Stefan, And they're fine. I love that the fact two people, I'll I'll go with them, right? Well, there you go, St. Anger fans. We're in very good company with Jack White and Jimmy
2: Page. Uh, And finally, we had to ask Bob that most simple on paper yet kind of awkward in practice question. What does he think are the most perfect songs of his era working with the band?
4: If I'm feeling shitty, and I want to wake up, I will put Sad But True, because I think it's so heavy. It's just so heavy. I mean, really, it's a phenomenal song, lyrically, musically, feel wise, everything about it. And if I want to feel Basically, one of the best songs I think James has ever written is Nothing Else Matters. They're, I mean, both of them. They're just, they're perfect. They're perfect songs.
3: Thanks so much to Bob Rock, not just for the time here, but for all he helped do for and with Metallica during those times. And I'm glad the St. Angus stuff came up because I always felt his friendship to the guys during those days was sorely, sorely underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that album, actually. All right, all right, I'm <laughs> going to stop now. I'll stop,
2: I promise. can go on and on and on. And time well spent. Bob is a legend. It's been really cool to hear his perspective on the band today and then to hear him reflect on his time with them back in the day. I loved all of this. Also, real quick, you guys, before we go, we still have the monthly exclusive Metallica merch package giveaway. It's going on every month. If you haven't entered the contest, just do it. All you need to do is follow and share this podcast to be entered. Head to PantheonPodcast.com slash Metallica to enter.
3: Finally, as this pod was going to bed, we learned of the sad passing of the MC5's Wayne Kramer. Uh, He stood for so much in terms of Loud Rebellion. He was a total and utter punk pioneer. And the MC5, they just threw things at your head and they hit you and won every single time. What a band and what a guy Wayne Kramer was. Uh, He's going to be sorely missed. And you'll have noted that Bob mentioned the MC5 a little earlier in this pod. So their reach was truly, truly multi, multi, multifaceted.
2: Until next week. Kick out the jams, motherfuckers. See See ya. ya.
3: The Metallica Report is produced by Metallica HQ, Pantheon Media, and PopCult.
2: If you like what we're doing here, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Be sure to visit metallica.com slash podcast to submit your questions, offer your thoughts, and become a part of this podcast.
2: Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.
1: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. What's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing?
2: What's the problem? What's the problem?
1: <laughs> would you lie? Would you cheat?
2: Would I shop? Would I shop?
1: Would you kill?
2: Yes. I'm dead. I'm right there.
1: From airship.